Well, not a student of linguistics, I love that discipline. Linguistics is a study of words and languages, and so when you get into the uh, Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms, there's a particular psalm called, um, um, it's, a, it's a plaintive cry. You know, so a plaintive cry is something where it, that just really comes from the angst, the core of your heart that cries out to God and, you know, just says that I need you. And um, probably one of the easiest things about God we forget. And that, you know, when we think in terms of needing him, we think in terms of, well, I'm going to need him when I die. That's, that's when I'm going to need him. I'm going to need him when I die. Maybe some of us think on a daily basis, I need thee every hour. Every hour I need thee. Um, but there, in this last song, there was this plaintive cry that is true. And it's true of all of us. Whether we want to realize that or recognize that or not. You know, I was thinking the other day, uh, it's interesting how Satan works in our lives because it's always degrees of something. Like if he can't make you bad, then he'll make you good. And if you want to be the best, he'll convince you just to be good, but not the best. It's always in degrees. Um, so when we think about our sin in our life that we should repent from, we often think about that sin, sin devoid of a little word called rebellion. All sin is rebellion. And so when we're talking about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit living in us, as we're going to be talking about this morning, uh, if any of us, <laughs> if any of us say that we go through an entire day without sin, then I can say then, then you went through an entire day without rebellion. But if we say, well, I, I sin multiple times a day, if I'm going to be intellectually honest, I do. I sin multiple times a day. Thank God nobody can read my mind or see what I've thought over the course of the last 24 hours. Then I would say that what you're talking about is rebellion. And so, um, and then that makes us uncomfortable. Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, if we are believers, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, who's very faithful about reminding us when we are sinning and when we are in rebellion. And if we can't hear that, as I think about that in my own life, if I can't hear the Holy Spirit say to me, that is sin and that is rebellion, if I can't hear it, what it means, and this is so, this is so much why I need God, uh, 
is because my heart has become hardened. So if I can't hear the Holy Spirit speak to me, if I don't hear as well him saying that you are in rebellion and this is sin in your life, then it's because my heart is hardened, calloused. And we've all, we've all had those relationships in life where we needed somebody to hear us, whether it was our children, whether it was a, um, a friend or a neighbor or a colleague. We needed them to hear us that what they were doing was wrong but they wouldn't hear us. And it's so incredibly frustrating when that happens. Because you know that not only are you right, but you also know that what they're doing is destructive. And you know that oftentimes the reason why they don't hear you is because they are rebelling what they know to be right and to be good. So, I mean, I wasn't planning on talking about this part in terms of setting up the message, but Nate's music this morning, his song was so compelling. Uh, it was uh, so fresh to hear a song sung in that kind of a way. And I might say it was inspiring to hear you sing those songs in that kind of a way. that I heard plaintive hearts this morning lifting their voices up to God. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for worshiping this morning. So I said last week that I was going to um, talk about some pivotal texts as, as it relates to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and um, I don't have time to catch anyone up on what we talked about last week other than the fact that there were about 13 principles that I gave you about the gifts of the Spirit, and um, I added one this morning, and I'm just going to talk about this 14th one this morning because there are 14 now that I, when I think about it, I think there are 14 of them, and... Um, and so I just want to mention that, and then if you want to catch up, you can, you can have my notes or you can listen to it online or however you want to do it. But I do want to say this about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, the way forward for any church to be healthy and to grow is for, members, is for its members to intentionally discover, learn, and exercise their individual gifts of the Holy Spirit as a corporate body of Christ. This is, there are no healthy churches apart from this. There are big churches apart from this. There are small churches apart from this, but there are no healthy churches apart from this. The way forward for any church to be healthy and to grow is for its members to intentionally discover, learn, and exercise their individual gifts of the Holy Spirit as a corporate body of Christ. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that connection with the body of Christ, but this is the very essence of loving submission and obedience to Christ. The faithful, intrinsic use of the gifts of the Spirit are crucially foundational to the practicing extrinsically of the fruits of the Spirit. 
The fruit of the Spirit is rooted in and is an outgrowth of the gifts of the Spirit. Can you imagine any Christian living a vital, calibrated life apart from these two things? You should be able to imagine it because we see it all the time. And maybe we even participate at times in it all the time. And we must stop. So I'm going to give to you a general survey of the biblical text for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are more than what you think. Like, so for example, I would say to you, what, what's the classic passage for the, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit? You would say, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, 13, uh, no, chapter 12, actually, uh, and some into 13, yeah. This is the classic passage, and so we're going to begin with that. So in first, so if you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to it. I hope you bring them, or if you can, uh, bring them up on your phone so that, you know, you we're studying and learning together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, where the Apostle Paul names and instructs about the Spirit specific gifts as well as their orientation and use. So, but here's the interesting thing, and, and I've often done this myself, and I think I see people who do this, and this is just really important. You will see when you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that there are two main sections. The first section is about where he talks about specifically the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and in the second section he talks about the body of Christ. If you're going to study 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, understand that the Apostle Paul is talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit to set up what he's talking about when it comes to the body of Christ and how the body of Christ should work. Now, I don't have time this morning to go into that, but I do want to raise our awareness there that those two are intimately connected. The gifts of the Holy Spirit do not exist uh, apart from their connection to the body itself. They exist to make the body work. So, if there's a large church or a small church or a medium-sized church out there that, uh, that doesn't have these gifts apparent, that these gifts are not being used to bless or benefit that body, it's not a healthy church. So I want to mention that because I think context is key. Now the Apostle Paul uh, begins, uh, well, we'll begin chapter or verse 4 of chapter 12, where he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. So the same Spirit gives different gifts. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, that's that, that is a precursor to his discussion on the body of Christ later on in the chapter. 
That's a hint of what he's really going to be talking about later on in the chapter. So, as an outline then, in this particular section, Paul provides an instructive outline on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The first thing he says, there are a diversity of gifts within the church, which is true. And that's a very good thing. And then there's a diversity of platforms and outlets. So, um, you know, you have parachurch groups, you have church groups, like worshiping church, like this kind of a thing right here. Um, You have different platforms or outlets through which the Holy Spirit manifests his gifts within the world. And then a diversity of activities within those platforms. So... In our platform, a local worshiping church, we have a variety of people here who have different kinds of gifts in the activities that they feel called to do. And then um, it is God who empowers those gifts. So they aren't yours, and you don't empower them. You don't give them strength or efficacy. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. So any gifts that you and I might have, and by the way, you know, some of us have certain gifts that we can use professionally and make a very good living off of for ourselves. And all too often, whatever gifts God has given to us that we use to make a living off of or to enhance our own life in some sort of way, we do that and then whatever is left over, we Gift to God. And that is inverted. That our gifts belong primarily or have been given to us primarily for the body of Christ first. And then secondly, for other things. But it's God who empowers. Um, Austin, you can, there's a, the next slide. Yeah, go down there, that list there. There we go. Thank you. So, The gifts exist primarily to benefit others. Now, remember, like I've been talking about the last few weeks, that the gifts are the, in many respects, are the essence of who you are. They are your identity. They are, they comprise so much of who you are as as a person. Um, And so God places them in you to benefit others, to benefit people in the church. So, uh, you know, I'll make an obvious statement. How many of us benefited from Nate's music this morning? Okay, now he could maybe use that gift professionally to make a living off of, independently of the church. And then whatever is left over, he could go to a church. But that's not what he does. So, um, so, so we have benefited because of the gifts that God has given to us. Now, verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And so he's, he's like outlining some of these gifts. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. According to the same spirit, all this is spirit driven. To another, faith by the same spirit. 
and to another gifts of healing by the Spirit. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. He's giving examples, and he continues to tie these gifts in uh, to the Spirit. Now, there's some discussion about why Paul did that very specifically, and it is thought that the Christians and the people in Corinth believed that these, these manifestations of abilities came from other sources. So in other words, you know, you, uh, um, you, you know, you, you center down, you know, for some of the, you know, you would center down and you would, you would, uh, you would channel your, what do they call that in the Orient, your, your, your key or a chi, that's it, your chi. So the source of your peace, the source, it's, it's your inner chi, you know. Um, you know, maybe some new agey people would say something else. And, but Paul's very clear here that for all the different kinds of religions that were floating about in the city of Corinth, he's making clear that these gifts, that, they're, that they are the author of them and the foundation of them and the ability to exercise them come from the Holy Spirit himself. So then more precisely, Paul gives examples of how specific gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All those are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So we have this thing coming back around again that God is the author and he gives according to his will because he has a plan for it. So I'll just give you another example. So we are, we are in the process in a, uh, of, of reconditioning our children's church program and we have a lot to do and, and we have some very good people helping us. And we're using some curriculum that's really good curriculum, but it, there's a lot to it. So in our last meeting, we asked a person in our church if they would look at this curriculum and, and, and choose what we need for this next time and then, and then help us to understand how we could best teach it. Anybody want to give me an idea who I might have asked to do that? Who? Huh? Ada? Well, Ada would have been good, but some... Rich Etter. And so as I'm standing back here, Rich Etter comes by and says, hey, I have a very good handle on the curriculum that we're going to use. If you want to talk to me afterwards, let's talk about it. And it just felt so good to know somebody, who, a professional, who understands how to teach for them to be able to go through all of that, and then now he's going to teach our teachers about how the best way to use that material so that, so that our people who are teaching it don't feel lost, don't feel overwhelmed by it, because some did. I mean, some people aren't natural teachers. So it's a skill that they acquire. It's not something that comes necessarily you know, uh, to them right away. Well, that's, that's Rich's bailiwick. I mean, that's his thing. That is his lane. So we are blessed because we have somebody like that who's willing to give the time to help us to help our kids. 
So Paul concludes by stating, all gifts are empowered only by the Holy Spirit. Each specific gift and its capacity is distributed, allotted, and dispensed by God. And according to God's overarching plan and purpose. There isn't a person in this room who has a gift that God did not have in mind how you ought to use that gift in order to benefit the world and to benefit the church. Not a person in this room. You have been selected by God to have certain gifts, and he has allotted it to you to benefit the church and to benefit the world, to build up his kingdom, to give him glory. So Ephesians 4, then, if you want to turn to Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. In Ephesians 4, now as we read Ephesians 4, we have to understand that it complements, Ephesians 4 complements Paul's passage from the hierarchy of higher or greater gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, um, 30 through 3 through 13. Uh, I think I have the, I don't think that's right. I think I, I, I think it begins with 1230, but uh, I think it's 10 through 13. Eh, I'm not exactly sure. If you, if you, I don't have that with me right here. But anyway, it is in 1 Corinthians 12, but it complements those greater gifts. I, I, I apologize for my poor citation. But it comes here in the next slide. These are the hierarchy of gifts. So Ephesians 4 complements this passage from 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 28, where he says, Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So this, this particular, um, uh, this is the hierarchy of the greater gifts. And this passage here complements Ephesians 4, which I'm about to read to you now. In Ephesians 4, the gifts are given to equip the saints and the building up of the body of Christ. So the apostle Paul says, says this in Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Do you see the overlap here? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. My primary job as your pastor is to help equip you for ministry. That's how I'll be judged, primarily. How did I do equipping the saints? Teaching, encouraging, inspiring, making available resources to you, all the, creating a, 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 an environment where, like, like this morning, where you can, I mean, that, that's, that's my responsibility. If I'm talking to you about your gifts and you're not sure what to do with your gift, being available to you, help you talk to you about your gift, all those kinds of things. But anyone else who may, be, who have, may have a, a prophetic ability, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, anyone like that, you are equipping saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the goal here is to use all this to become Christ-like. 
So Paul outlines the purpose for these higher, uh, for those higher on the hierarchy of gifts. One, they are to equip fellow Christians for ministry. So we are all in ministry together. Will you do ministry with me? According to how God has given you, your, whatever gift God has given to you will, you, will you do ministry with me and with others in this church? And by the way, there's no like, uh, in some ways, there's like no age limit. It's not like when you turn 21, you know, ta-da, you know, you're ready. No. We, we have a group of young junior high kids that love to go in the back and help do ministry they mostly help do ministry uh, with, uh, with our, our grade school kids. It's a wonderful thing. Number two, to grow numerically and spiritually within the church. Number three, the goal of which is to be unified in Christ, gain intimate knowledge of Jesus, maturing into Christ-likeness. The goal of the Christian is to become Christ-like to look like Jesus. And that only, and, and really, look I, look, I just want to say to you, this is like how important this is. Christ-likeness for the Christian gets increasingly more and more difficult the less the community of faith uses their gifts to help each other. If we don't have teachers in a church, do you think that helps or hinders a person's ability to become Christ-like? If we don't have people who have gifts with children or gifts with the elderly or any of those kind, do you, does that help or hinder? It hinders. So we're all, we all come together as the body to empower, to help each other become mature and Christ-like. So if some of us choose not to show up, then we dampen others' ability in that maturation process. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. In this one, Paul is basically saying, stay in your lane in regard to your gifts. Because some people don't stay in their lane. They're just not, they mean well, but they can't do well. Most of the time they mean well. I've been in very few churches where there wasn't some well-intentioned dragons. You know? Uh, <laughs> usually they're well-intentioned, but not always. So, All right. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Do you take it for granted that this client should know his terminology when he speaks language yeah. of remodeling? Yeah. And he told me a quick story a couple weeks ago about a repair he was going for a surgeon. And he said, Do you know, maybe you can know what this type of wrench was? I can't even believe it. Yeah. That's his gift. Yeah. This is your gift. Yeah. And he decides it. I just don't believe it. He doesn't under, he didn't really understand this, the gifts that he was given. Yeah. What he does. Because I look at it and I'm 
Well, yeah, what if the surgeon went home and said, you know this, this, uh, this handyman guy? He, he didn't even know what, you know, a uh, 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 pulmonary, uh, or pul pulmonary cardio, uh, whatever it was, you know, or like, I mean, how dumb can you be, you know, not knowing that? So, and I, yeah, no, that's right. So, yeah, and that, with the term for that is nomenclature. Every particular area has its own language, right? And so, you know, that, you know, and so understanding that, but, and that's why we should be patient with each other, you know, so, and we oftentimes are not. In fact, and many times, you know, Christians make fun of other people because they don't understand certain things. And that's, that's tragic. Um, I mean, in our day, to nowadays, you, you know, you, you, have, you, are, you are completely justified not assuming you're completely justified in assuming that most people know very little about the Bible. And what they think they do know is usually erroneous. So, I remember seeing a, a basketball game where some guy was standing up and he was holding a placard up that said, John 3.16. And somebody overheard somebody across the stadium look over there and said, hey, that guy's looking for a guy named John in aisle three, chair 16. Now, John 3, 16 is probably the most well-known scripture in the Bible. Now, really? Okay. So Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to your faith. If service in serving the one who teaches, uh, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So, in other words, um, so having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, so God gives each of us a certain amount of grace with certain gifts to use them, and if your gift is in prophecy, in proportion to your faith, don't try to be more prophetic outside your ability in terms of your, your faith, and so stay in your lane. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not that you don't help other people in their lane, but, but just excel at the thing that God has given to you. Yeah, Ruth. No, I think that's true too. Yeah. Stepped in as the head deaconess, and she told everyone, reminded us all um, frequently, this isn't me, this isn't something I feel good at, but I'll, I'll do it, I'll yeah. step up. So I do think that that happens at times in a smaller body. Yeah, and for a season, that, that's oftentimes necessary, but...
Yeah. 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 So, I, and I think the, and to be clear with what Paul is saying here, I think it's that you do your thing to the best, you be the tip of the spear in your church with the thing that you have been given. Let everybody do that. That doesn't mean that you don't step in and help. It just means that there are some people who don't do what they really are in order to do something that somebody else should be. Does that make sense? And so now they're not really doing what they're really gifted at, and so they're trying to be the tip of the spear with that particular gift that really isn't them. So I think that's more what he's saying. It's not that we don't cover each other or cover for each other. I think that's more of what he's saying. So let me ask you this question. How good at, how determined are you to excel here at your gift? You are the tip of the spear with your particular gift in this church. Not arrogantly, not pridefully, with humility, but have a passion for it. Now, I've had some people who would say to me in the past, and I've heard them say this about other pastors, and maybe some people have said this, well, but you won't let me be that. Well, that might be true. It might be true because you may have that gift but the wrong attitude. It may be because you think you have that gift but really don't. Because remember, all gifts need to be affirmed by the community of faith. So I could say more about that, but um, I want to just get on to this, I think this final one, where the Apostle Paul says in Romans eleven twenty nine, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Well, and so that's two slides down, I think, Austin. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's how hard and fast your gifts, your calling, what God expects of us is. It's irrevocable. It will not change. It cannot be something else just because we want it to be something else. It's fixed. It's cemented in. Finally, 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11, if you want to turn to that. This is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Uh, we are God's instruments of grace through the exercise of his gifts that he has given to us. So, in verse 10 we read of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. So let's reverse that. If I don't use my gifts, I withhold God's grace. You can do that. If I don't use the gift that God has given to me for others, I willfully withhold God's grace 
for others. Yeah. That, yeah, wow is a, is a great response to that. So, if I know that I'm going to stand before the Lord someday, and I have to give an account for how I lived my life, how I exercised my gifts that he has given to me, and out of that, how the fruit of the Holy Spirit has manifested itself throughout the course of my life. But if I stand before him to give an account about his calling that's irrevocable, and he says to me, why did you withhold my grace from these people? Does anybody here want to have that conversation with God? That's how important it is. That's how important it is. So hopefully, some of you have taken, most of you have taken that test about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You've discovered what you think some of yours are. You are choosing to be fascinated by them. You are asking questions about how to employ them in the life that you have now. And you are determined that you will be an agent of grace through the use of your gifts in this church and in the world in which we live. Because we will all give an account.